0: It's a personal story, I have to preface it, uh, I was working in Los Angeles and was trying to get one of the coveted jobs at the airport at Lindbergh Field in San Diego, I had an interview for that. They had an opening, and my mother called and she said, uh, I've been diagnosed with Veneers syndrome, I can't drive, I'm dizzy, would you please take me to the doctor? So I postponed that interview to another date and took her to the doctor. Uh, the result of that was, if any of you are old enough to remember, this was like the day Kennedy was shot or like 9-11 one of these moments. She came out as white as a sheet, and the doctor said to me, there's nobody else in the waiting room but me, he said, your mother has a brain tumor the size of a fist, and she has less than three months to live. Well, she looked as healthy as any of you. I couldn't believe it. Well, that was the end of the interview, and I got some time off of work and just was there and nothing changed in three months, and she got kind of mad that I was hanging around. She said, you're just trying to get out of work, and we had a bunch of arguments, that sort of thing. Any of you have been there with sick relatives, you know, you go through the whole nine yards with them. They, they, you know, they they go through denial and you get stuck in it. Uh, I say this because this was the beginning of a process that lasted 15 months. And in that, in that, I kept, you know, going back and forth to work and getting time off, and they threatened to fire me at some point. And people had compassion. My supervisor had compassion. By the way, this is not on the story, but I met him at an airline reunion. I said, thank you for saving my job. Which, and he said, uh, that's what any compassionate person would do. He said, by the way, my wife became a priest, Episcopal priest. He hadn't figured out what to call himself yet. Anyway, it was funny. Here was an ethical, an ethical uh, supervisor. Another one met me when I came back. She said, I would have fired you if I, if you, it's like, this is the choices that we make. What kind of person am I going to be, like her or like him? This is what went through my mind. But anyway, the point of the thing is, in that time, her mother came, my grandmother was 69, uh, getting younger and younger, the older I get that that date, but her mother came, and her sister came. I had three mothers in the house, you know, uh, and the hospice got involved, of course. They were 15 months of hospice, and they would come, and they would, and so I had helpers and other, other relatives would come, but there was this one that my mother really wanted to come, and he came once or twice in the 15 months, but that was it. And I kept calling and saying, you know, you really would get a lot out of this. Uh, You know, you could come and feed her because she couldn't feed herself and this, that, and the other thing, you would never come. I said, I finally said to him, why don't you come a little more often? And he said, well, I'll tell you, it's like this. I like to imagine her in her little mobile home. It was actually a nice mobile home on a lake, in Lake Jennings in, in Lakeside, California. She said, I like to... Imagine her in her home, looking out the window at the lake, and just the way she was. And if I imagine that, it's good for me. And I don't have to grieve or worry about it. I'm, doing, I'm not coming because it's better for me. It's good for me. That, <laughs> everybody in this story is dead, okay? Except me. I said... <laughs> Or I'd hear about it. I may hear about it anyway. Uh, You know, that was the most selfish thing I've ever heard in my life. It really was. And you, you can all, any of you who have been there, a lot of people can't handle it, and that's one thing. You know, there's always one person in the family that seems to take charge. It's their mission. Uh, some of you've been there. I've been hearing this story so often amongst uh, our our community that it resonates with many of you with maybe a sick child or a sick mother or an in-law, and it can get to be very stressful. Uh, you got kids, you got your job, you got the sick person. You love them, but it's difficult. And you're you're like a seed that's cracking open because you're going crazy. <laughs> but but. Uh, he missed everything. He missed everything. All the graces, all the chance to grow. For myself, I went back to work and of all the things I've done in life, including being a priest, I'm most grateful for that and most proud of that, not of myself, but of God who made it possible because virtually everything I do in ministry now comes out of that 15 months. It was better than the seminary. And that was Jesus Christ, as I mentioned before. I I bring it up because... These great opportunities like that don't come very often. But if we are able to recognize our opportunity when God offers it, you're going to grow. And life is all about growth. Right now, we're like a seed that all we can see is the roots growing. We don't see the plant that's coming up, usually. Sometimes we do. That in heaven, we will see the fruits of our labors. One day we can work no longer. No longer. No more opportunities. I know so many priests that have died. I, I pray for people that have died. I made a list of priests. about twenty. They can't serve anymore. Whether they were uh, hard workers or not or whatever, and it's the same with all of us. We have big opportunities and little ones. But Jesus says, if you're going to be my follower, this is the answer to that. That Greek at the beginning of that of that uh, that perky, that little piece of John's Gospel, a Greek is a non-Jew. A righteous Jew going up to, to worship in the court of the Gentiles, and he says, we'd like to see Jesus, and Jesus says, it's too late. That's what his point of it. Now the hours come for me to be glorified. In other words, I'm going to be arrested and it's too late for him to see me. His opportunity was gone. But ours is not. And most of these dying to self moments, every time we die to ourselves, we find out who we really are. And, uh, uh, you know, it's as simple as the, the idea that The the one thing I notice, among other things, is, you know, you're, you're driving along River Road and it's, it's really crowded and you get to a driveway and you stop and let somebody in. How many of us have done that? It's, that's the law, actually, but a lot of people, either they don't notice or they don't want somebody there and they just drive on. Some are courteous and they stop. You know what that is? That's called dying to self. That little bit. Listening to somebody when we're busy. Um, just caring about our family. Making this special effort for them. Or uh, <laughs> this, is not, uh, this is not an example we're doing right now. But you want to go to the movies and you let your spouse pick it. So it's such a simple thing. But you know what? That's what Christ is talking about. Those little things in life. Uh, saying hello to somebody in church that we haven't seen before holding a door for somebody that we don't see that very often anymore instead of slamming in the face of the person behind you saying hello to the grocery store checker there's one over where I go that her, whose father is a pastor and we're always uh, I'm always trying to find war stories to tell you from her and I get them too wow that's great uh, <laughs> she's, she's had a lot of people treat her like furniture you know, she says hello, and they say nothing. Uh, dying to self is thinking about others. Selfishness gets them nowhere. There's a beautiful set of paintings. Have you ever seen them? If you ever go to DC, hope they're still up. 1979, I went to the mass on the Mall. John Paul II had just been elected. He came to the U.S. For I don't know what reason. First, first act, actual active pope that came to the U.S. John uh, Paul the had come, but you know, quietly. And I went to the National Gallery of Art and these massive paintings that he painted about the size of that wall there. Four of them. The four stages of life. I I have them in my house. I have two of them. I just bought the other two acrylic things. And they're gorgeous. One is a, uh, a baby in a in a little boat, in a boat, with this guardian angel, you know, the second one, this man is going out to conquer the world, and you can see something like the Taj Mahal, in in the distance, you know, and he's going off to, he's going off for his destiny, how many of us have felt like that, and the third one, which is where I'm at right now, uh, they're in the, in the rapids, and he's afraid for his life, and he's praying to God, God save me from, from death, anybody feel like that, Uh uh-huh, that's what I thought, uh, (laughs) get in my boat, I'm going there. And the, and the fourth one, of course, is an old person uh, You know, at the end of life and they're pulling into the harbor and it's the same boat, the same guardian angel. The time of trial is over forever. Along with it, the time of opportunity is over forever. Giving food to, to the, the needy here, so many are in line still economy is beginning to pick up. A lot of people are still hurting. Do I think of them? What charities do I support, including us, you know? Uh, these things are so important. Uh, giving is very important. It's not a tithe sermon, but, but if I can't do something physically, who I, what I tithe to, you are an investor and you are doing it. We've been live streaming now for a year. If you're tithing here, you've fed everybody that's been watching. We were one of the first churches to get get rolling because we had the camera here, you know. These things are marvelous, and the Lord says, I'm going to present crosses to you, but they're for your glory. They will be the things you will be most, find most precious in the life to come. I'll tell you, with my grandmother, and many of you will understand this completely, we get to heaven, Nothing will need to be said. Anybody that you have done a sacrifice for, you can just look at each other without saying a word, and you share it forever. And that will be what it will be like with Jesus Christ. And that's what he means about the joy of a cross. We, for all eternity, will share something with the creator of the world just by looking at each other and saying nothing else. He'll just, he'll present to you that little food box that you gave and... That is the connection with Him. This is why it's so important that we understand the crosses, though so difficult that they are, are really our ticket to glory. Not that we're doing it for that purpose, but for uh, an investment for eternity. We don't want to just be on the boat and never go anywhere. What kind of a life is that? We have to take risks. Without risks, there's no gain. You know, it, I used to say investments take a risk, but I don't know where you're supposed to invest anymore. But our life is an investment. We're here to to take that risk without stepping off out of the boat, uh, getting into that rough water, going through something, having a life that's really a really exciting life, one that we have made. We've died to ourselves, and then we become the person in eternity that we were always meant to be.